Welcome to a brand new podcast from A Passion for Life. Thank you for listening. My name is Craig Dyer, and our aim in this podcast is to engage with church leaders and church families as we think together about how we can, by the help of the Holy Spirit of the Lord Jesus, keep developing a healthy mission culture in our local churches. We all have so much to learn, and this podcast is an effort to help us in that. We want to serve you. And so rather than begin with an introduction to A Passion for Life as such, we wanted to get straight to the sharp end of our aim. Now, in a few weeks' time, we will have a session on A Passion for Life and all the ways that it's designed and set up to be applied locally for your encouragement in your setting. And if you want to know about that now, you can go to the recently relaunched website and find out more at apassionforlife.org.uk. We're all about a a month of mission set in the context of a lifetime of evangelism, and that's what is meant by a passion for life. So we're going to unpack more of that in the coming weeks, Lord willing. But this podcast will mostly be conversations with local church and mission leaders, which we hope will speak to us for our upbuilding and encouragement and consolation in the work of the gospel. Today, I'm delighted to be chatting to Paul Clark, lead pastor of St Andrew's Free Church on the beautiful Fife coast of Scotland. Paul is married to Emily and they have three children, Fred and Archie and Sophie and Willow the dog. Paul has been working in St Andrew's since 2013 now. And before that, uh, for 14 years, he served the Lord in St Helens Church, Bishopsgate in London. I'm delighted to see that St Andrew's isn't wasted on him. I gather that Paul enjoys playing golf and going for walks with friends and family and eating good food. Paul, thank you so much for joining us this morning. How's life with you today? Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Yep, good day. Sun is shining in St Andrews as as it always is. No East Coast har billowing in this morning. No, no. We've just uh, all the snow's melted now, and we're doing we're doing pretty well. The temperature's gone up wow. by about ten degrees in the last two days. Isn't that fantastic? That's so good. And how are the family coping with uh, lockdown up there in, in Fife? Yeah, pretty well. Um, all things considered, I think we're still smiling. We haven't, um, no one's moved out yet. So we're, I think we're doing okay. We've got, uh, the kids are teenagers. They're all in the midst of home schooling stuff. Um, the eldest yeah. is leaving school this summer, has just had his exams cancelled. So he's a, he's a happy chap. Oh, He's a happy bunny. That's fantastic. Now, you, I mentioned that you also have in the, in the family uh, a dog called Willow. What kind of what kind of dog is Willow? She's an Australian Labradoodle. Oh, amazing! Well, I'm interested in this because we have a uh, we have a, a, a blonde lab called Brady, who any minute now is going to go nuts as the postman delivers the letters. He's he's actually a clear and present danger to the smooth running of this podcast. So. I want to know, have you any tips for this, Paul? How do you handle calls like this when you're working from home, when you have a friendly dog in the house? Um, that is the department of other people in the household. Uh, Willow's <laughs> been great, though. She was the uh, one of the ways we sweetened the pill to, for the kids when we moved up from London. So we'd always said we couldn't have a dog in London, and they took that to be a promise that if we left, we would get one. So that's what happened when we moved up there. She's calmed down a bit now. I see. Sounds awesome. 
Well, Paul, let's get to the the serious stuff. You obviously came to St Andrews on the promise of free lifetime membership of the Royal and Ancient Golf Club. How is your handicap, brother? Oh, I wish I wish that was the case, Craig. Um, I get to walk on the golf courses more. I get more than I get to play on them. But um, living locally, we get to to play play, uh, play pretty cheap. So yeah, I, I get out a little bit with folks in the in the family in the congregation. Oh, that sounds amazing. I just. I mean, we just need to say now, it's not everyone the Lord could trust with that posting, but he obviously can trust you with it. And we're, <laughs> we're delighted about that. Paul, give us, give us an idea of what you've, going on, what you've got going on this week in, or a sort of typical week in, in life and ministry there in St. Andrews at the moment. Sure. Well, it's the, it's the usual stuff of church leadership. The bread and butter of it is the, the ministry of the word and prayer. So there's a, a lot of sermon preparation that goes on, leading of small groups, um, We've got online Christianity Explored happening at the moment, which we're we're loving meeting with individuals either to go for a, a wander or most of the time on Zoom these days. Then I guess running our team on top of that, um, staff meetings, supervisions. We've got um, some ministry trainees, some leaders in training that we're trying to equip to serve the Lord elsewhere. So inputting and investing in in them takes a big part of it, and then occasionally do stuff a bit further afield for the the free church as well. Amazing. So it's a pretty full week that you've got going on there um, and lots of rich ministry activity there. Maybe we'll get to explore some of that mm. uh, later on. I wonder, do you ever uh, sort of look out of your study window and think to yourself, how did this all happen? How did I get to be leading this church and involved in this ministry up here in the uh, east of east coast of Scotland? Let's Let's go back to the story behind it all. Maybe you could tell us um, how you first heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus and how you came to know him as your saviour. Sure. I mean, I'm just so grateful to God for the people who, who taught me the the gospel. I grew up in a family that that went to church occasionally, um, Christmas and Easter, um, not much more than that. If I heard the gospel at that stage, I don't I don't remember it. Um, I did the usual thing at the school I was at of getting confirmed at the age of 11. And I think I was sincere in my heart in saying, yeah, this is for me, but it didn't really make much difference to my life. Age 17, I went along to the Christian Union in my school. Um, No one invited me, actually, but I knew a couple of people that that went. And uh, I asked some pretty obnoxious questions of the visiting speakers and the teachers who ran it for months on end. And then eventually, um, for me, the 6th of February 1992 was the day that the Lord opened my eyes and I um, was encouraged to follow Jesus. The um, the, the teacher gave me um, some little Bible study notes called Newness of Life. And he said, why don't you just read the Bible and say your prayers every day from here on in? And uh, that was not bad advice, actually, for, for the Christian life. And so, yeah, that was back 92. That is such a beautiful story of a, of a teacher um, just pointing you to the Lord and pointing you to his word. And I guess communicating communicating with that, some real confidence that God was going to meet you in his word, even in these early days. Did you, have a, did you have a sense of that from the earliest days? Well, you know what it's like. I mean, I woke up the next day and I didn't feel hugely different. I remember being thrilled when I went to bed the, the night before and thinking, this has changed. I, I'd been... 
you know, life is never going to be the same again. This is exciting. This is forgiveness. This is knowing God. I was excited about that. But I woke up the next morning and it was just like any other Wednesday or whatever, Friday, whatever day of the week it, it was, and thinking to myself, is anything different? But then as you open the, the scriptures and the, the the Lord speaks to you through them, and it was, you know, there was some uh, some verses from the Bible there on one side of the page, some notes on the other, and then a, a recommended prayer at the bottom. And I just worked through that. And I guess bit by bit and day by day, the Lord fed me and started to to grow me. And uh, then other people got alongside me and tried to to walk with me and disciple me. And I was profoundly grateful for that. Oh, that's a, a such an encouraging story, and essentially that that is it, isn't it? That's what that's what we're still doing today. We're still meeting the Lord at His Word and, and turning to Him in prayer. Um, to say a little bit more about those early influences, those who who drew alongside that you mentioned there, uh, as you were a young believer and and helped you with some formative convictions. What might they have been, and and how were you helped in these early days, Paul? Mm. I mentioned that teacher. He started a little Bible study and encouraged me to mm. to go along to it. Again, so grateful for that. The guy just coming up to retirement in lots of ways. He, he wasn't the coolest guy in the, the school anymore at that stage, but he took a real interest. He could have just coasted to retirement, I guess, but he took a, a real interest in, in me and wanted to, to feed my faith. And uh, I, I think I fell asleep in his Bible studies more than once, but he kept <laughs> inviting me back, kept... Uh, feeding me poached eggs or something, and uh, yeah, it was a it was a great time actually. Um, then I was encouraged to go on a on a summer camp that year um, by the folks in the Christian Union. had a had a brilliant time there. Only got wonderful things to to say about it. My first ever dorm leader actually was um, Rico Tice, which the oh, way that yeah. things worked out was um, was pretty lucky for me, I guess. And just had a great time. So. Um, Rico asked me on about day two of camp whether or not I knew a gospel outline so that I could explain my faith to others. I'd been a Christian for about six months, I guess, by this stage. I said I didn't know what a gospel outline was. So he drew me the pictures of two ways to live and yeah. uh, gave me the verses and the, the words for it and told me to go away and learn it. And then about two days later on camp, he tested me on it in public in front of the, the rest of the, the dorm and said, right, now just go and tell someone for every day of your life the good news of Jesus Christ. And I think that was that was pretty formative in God's goodness. It, it gave me a, a clearer understanding of the good news of Jesus, um, began to excite me about the, the privilege, the daunting privilege of sharing that faith with others. Um, so that was pretty big, and but alongside the the challenge, um, I don't want to big up Rico too much because he's a friend, and I don't want it to to go to his head. But he just took a real interest <laughs> in me as a as a bloke. He um, would write me letters because that's what you, you did back in the day. He invited me to go stay with him, and just took a huge interest in me as a bloke. Ended up taking my my wedding years later, and being a, a friend still to the day. So that kind of model of commitment to the individual alongside mm. feeding God's word to people was just right there at the at the start. Isn't it striking that both with the example of that that teacher coming up to retirement and with Rico as a relatively young leader, I'm thinking you were sort of mid to late teens at this point, 17, 18, something yeah, like that. Yeah, 17 when I came to know the Lord. So so you were both younger men at this point and and of course if either that teacher or if Rico had known that they were training a guy who was going to go into ministry, 
it would all make perfect sense as to why they would make that investment. But of course, they didn't know that at the time. And they just wanted, presumably, just to be faithful and serve the Lord with the people God had put in front of them in these moments. And it's part of the wonder of that, isn't it? We never know who we're talking to. We never know how the word invested in someone's life is going to pay massive dividends in God's purposes in, in, in the days to come. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely remarkable. That's so so good to hear. And just going back to two ways to live, the, the whole idea, I guess, for you as a young believer in in seeing a kind of consistency of the Bible, a consistency of the of the good news and the bad news and how these two things go together, that must have been a huge help to you as you began to wrestle. I'm imagining as you began to wrestle through problems and, and talk to friends who were less than enthusiastic, just having that kind of systematic approach to um, being able to defend the gospel and, and articulate to people. Is that is that right? Yeah, it was great. It just gave... It, in, I mean, there's a lot more to a worldview than two ways to live, and it's not the answer to to everything. But mm. it just gave a, a way of looking at the world. It's God's world. We've marked up. That's a problem. Yeah. He loves us enough to send Jesus, who lives and reigns. And now we've got a choice to to make. And there's so much truth in just in, in captured in those uh, verses and, and pictures and the the words that go along with them. And as you say, as 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 I then. I guess, got going in the, the Christian life and continued chatting to, to friends and started trying to share my faith with others. As they came back and asked me loads of questions and challenged my faith, it was, a, it was an anchor point and it kind of gave, I was able to locate their questions often within one of those boxes yeah. and say, you know what, they, they haven't got the, that we all belong to God because he made us. They, they haven't got that God loves us. He's not some yeah. um, baddie who's just out to try and throw the book at us. Um, they haven't got that, that Jesus is alive and relevant today. And they haven't got that these things are of eternal significance. So it just gives a, a framework within which to to speak naturally. I I don't think all that many times in life I've sat down and drawn out the pictures with people verbatim in that way. Yeah. But it was a it was a great uh, framework and just a, a clue as to know what to say as uh, as people were asking questions. Tremendously helpful. And as you said, I love that idea of it being an, an anchorage. This is this is something that will hold you fast, keep you faithful to the word. In your mind, you've got that little outline going on and it enables you just to articulate it. Uh, even from your earliest days, how how amazing to hear that. Now, tell us then, so you that was you leaving school uh, at summer camp and so on. What about student years and so on? Where did you study? What did you study? What what did that bring to you? Yeah, so I went to um, to Durham to to read law. I always say I got my my first degree by uh, by grace and not by work because um, I was pretty <laughs> I was pretty um, full on with church and Christian Union stuff in in those days. Um, I was grateful again that that in by the time I arrived in Durham, I'd, I'd twig that maybe what the Lord had for me would be trying to tell other people about the Lord Jesus for a, for a lifetime. And so although I wanted to honour the Lord in my studies, I wasn't finding my identity in my marks and that kind of stuff. I just wanted to use the time every second that he'd given me to try and help other people to to know Christ. So yeah, that was that was really Durham days for me. So just great days, great friends from there. Um, wonderfully, some people that I knew and was trying to read the Bible with came to know the Lord. I remember um, sitting down in a pub after a mission event and uh, leading a, a friend through praying a, a prayer of commitment to the Lord Jesus and just being 
having my mind blown by the fact that God was at work in people's lives today, that just as he's always loved saving the lost, Lord Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and he was still doing that in Durham uh, while I was there. That is so so beautiful to hear. And isn't it remarkable um, that you are now seeing the word at work in your own hands, as it were? So God's word in your hands, from your own lips, and it was having that impact in people. So I'm 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 picking up that 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 this was now a chain of events that people had faithfully unpacked the gospel to you. Um, they had challenged you to be able to, having trusted Christ, to be able to articulate it, to explain it well. And as you did that, the Lord began to use you and give you that immense thrill of seeing people coming to know him. And it also sounds as though, from what you've said, that at a fairly early stage, this, if, if we might, without it being um, corny, if we might call it your genuine passion for life, was beginning to show itself that you really wanted not so much to give your life to the law, but to the gospel proclamation. That That is quite unusual at that early stage Um how did that begin to develop in you? Were you seeing others preaching and pastoring and caring? Was that the thing? And 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 did that build with an inner conviction, or you know, how would you how would you phrase that, Paul? Yeah, it's a great question. And you know, I didn't, I don't recall thinking about it all that all that much. It just seemed like the most obvious thing in the world. I remember doing some some Bible studies that summer in um, in one Thessalonians, and just the repeating reminder that the Lord Jesus is coming again. The Lord Jesus is coming again. It's there at the end of every chapter in 1 Thessalonians, isn't it? The Lord Jesus is coming again. The Lord Jesus is coming again. And being asked the question, so what what matters in life? What are our priorities in life? And thinking at the time, well, if we are all going to stand before the Lord Jesus and we're either going to spend eternity with him in glory or we're going to be condemned, Mm. then nothing could matter more than helping people to see who Jesus is and to know about the forgiveness that he came to and the salvation that he came to to bring. It just seemed like an an obvious thing. There wasn't lots of wrestling about that. I didn't even begin to ask the question of whether I had the the requisite godliness, which I'm sure I didn't, still don't, or didn't even begin to ask whether I had any gifts in speaking to people about the Lord Jesus. I just thought, if this is true, people need to hear about this. I'd grown up with all sorts mm. of misconceptions and presumptions about what Christianity was about and rejected it without ever hearing the truth. And I thought, well, if I'm yeah. in that boat, and then the, the chances are there, are there are millions of others in the UK who are rejecting what they think is Christianity, but they've never been exposed to, to Jesus himself, the genuine article. And if I could do anything to help one person to meet him and come to an informed decision about him, then what a what a, a a privilege it would be. That would be a life well spent. Oh, isn't that isn't that the case? It's I mean we all face this um, temptation to be embarrassed by the gospel because the culture, the world makes you feel so weird. Your interests are so weird. Your passion for life is so out of keeping with everybody else's. And yet what you've articulated there is just this idea of this makes perfect sense. If this is true, if we're heading um, to that climactic moment of human history when the Lord Jesus is going to come and every eye is going to see him and every knee is going to bow before him and everybody's given an account to him, this passion 
to share him with others and his grace that we can meet him now is not a weird thing. It's, it's, I think it's really helpful to, to, to underline that, that, that. And we need to be reminded of that all the time. It's, it's not a, a bolt-on extra to the Christian life that we have to try and talk ourselves into. The way I was taught it was that this is just a natural part of the Christian life. You, you know, the, the Lord Jesus is the greatest treasure. He is the pearl of great price. How could I want to yeah. hold on to him? I mean, look, I'm, I fail in this every day, Craig. I'm in no way thinking that I'm an expert in this. There are too many days, weeks, months that go by where I'm not engaging mm-hmm. proactively with friends and neighbours and and people uh, in conversation and trying to talk to them about the Lord Jesus. But it, it should just be the most natural thing in the world to share the best news in the world with people who need it badly. And I guess preaching the gospel to ourselves every day meeting the Lord in his word, being freshly thrilled by that word is what keeps that alive and keeps it real for us. Is that right, Paul? I find that it's just a, a privilege to spend my day reading the Bible and be reminded of the things of eternity, studying the Bible, talking to people about these things. Um, yeah. I'm, God has used that profoundly in my life to to try and keep the the important things central. Um, so, I mean, and with all of us in life, in ministry too, but with everyone, so many other things, pressures of this world crowd in and the the clarity that we sometimes have in those moments of what really matters in life just gets fogged over with the, the pressures and the strains of raising kids and mm. work responsibilities and windows broken in the house or whatever it happens to be and it yeah. all needs sorting but as you say coming back to the the lord jesus in his word that's got to be the driving point for for all of our service including in this area of of making christ known it puts everything um in its context doesn't it gloriously so yeah. now so you mentioned uh, obviously studying at law studying law at durham and getting heavily involved in a gospel-shaped lifestyle. What about the church support you find there as a young student? Where did you go when you were, when did you go for worship and for fellowship in Durham and how did that help you? Yeah, I I didn't do brilliantly at church in my first year. I, I think I used the Christian Union as a substitute for church in a way that wasn't mm-hmm. very helpful initially, but I was very grateful in the end to get plugged into what at the time was called um, Claypath Church, um, I think it is now called Christ Church in, in Durham. Bob File was the minister there at the time. Oh, yeah. And again, he just uh, modelled a, a real commitment to God's word. He just kept saying, you, you need to have the whole Bible to know the whole Christ to be a whole Christian. I remember him saying it time after time after time oh, and thinking, well, look, I've just got to be immersed in the word if I want to know Jesus um, and was grateful for his modeling of that. Again, in a church, it didn't have lots of gimmicks. It wasn't overly trendy, but it was hugely attractive. It was magnetic because as you got there, you met with people who are hungry to live for Jesus, to know Jesus, and we met him in his word week by week. Amazing. And did you go directly from there to St. Helens at that point? Or did you practice law for a while? Or, or what was what happened in that season? I never got around to having a proper job, sadly. So um, Bob <laughs> kindly offered me a, a job when I um, graduated. So I worked with him as his assistant for a couple of years and then moved down to to London after that. What was the, what was the culture, the mission culture 
in Durham like in, in, in Claypath at that time with Bob File? What I mean, how would you describe that as we think of it now? It's a really good question. It's a long time ago, isn't it? But yeah. as I as I think back to it, I think it was natural to we spoke naturally about inviting friends to church. It wasn't mm-hmm. a, a weird thing to do. I don't think we had that many guest events or guest services back in the days. It was just, this is a great thing. We want to share it with uh, with our friends. And we then ran some courses it was, um, for, you know, I remember renting a room in a local pub to try and provide an, an easy place for people to come and investigate the the faith. But it, again, it was just a, a natural part of life. We want to know Jesus and we, we want to make him known. Well, I can't think of a better place to pause than right there, as Paul says, to know Jesus and to make him known. We have so much more to talk about with Paul Clark, his 14 years at St. Helens Bishop's Gate, his brave move across the Scottish border, and perhaps the mission culture shock he may have experienced in doing so. And lots more encouraging and stimulating stuff for real life gospel ministry today. But for now, thank you so much for being with us, Paul. We very much look forward to hearing from you more, brother, on the next podcast. And thank you for listening. Be sure to check out our passionforlife.org.uk website for more information about the podcast and many more resources to help us stir this passion for life. Lord bless you. Bye for now.